So I know it's been a while since you've heard from me in regard to this show. I've been doing my other podcast a lot, but this was a show that I recorded back in February of this year, of course, during Black History Month. And I recorded two shows at that time. This one was another specific show I did with two black men, and, and black men that I I respect a lot, and I, I'm, I'm happy to call them my friends. Kevin and Bobby are two great men, but the reason I brought them on is because they're two black men who are black fathers in America, and both of them are raising black sons. And I said, I'm not going to just have this conversation in February. It'd be so easy, again, for me to put this show out in February. But I want to keep this conversation going. And if you remember, this was back during the time, right after the Tyree Nichols murder by the hands of the officers in the Memphis Police Department. So this was a tough conversation to have because we really want to reframe how the world sees black men, and specifically black fathers. So please enjoy this show. This will be the last of the Relatively Normal shows for a while. I'm going to take a hiatus. One, because I do want to work on some other projects. And two, I need to just think about where I want this show to go. Has it run its course? Is there more I want to get out of it? Or has it done exactly what I needed to do? So again, pay attention to how the black man and the black father is portrayed in the media, is portrayed on news cycles, is portrayed in your own heart and mind. I really appreciate Kevin and Bobby for allowing me to have them on my show. So please enjoy. Another episode of the Relatively Normal Podcast. I am your host, Mark Paisant. We got a good one for you this week. I invited some friends, and I'm going to do something different this time. So it is Black History Month. We all know that. Um, and we can make the jokes about the length of the month and all that stuff. But there's something we don't always get to see. And it doesn't matter whose fault it is. We're not here to point fingers. We're here to just have a conversation. So... I invited two of my friends that I've known uh, when I lived in the D.C. area. I've coached with both of these guys, and I've, I've been friends with them. And we've had the best part about it is we have some really good conversations. All three of us are black men, and there is a lot that needs to be discussed about the current state of black men and their relationships with other black men in America right now and just the current state of America. But I want people to see the positive aspects and normalize that or understand that the normal black man has a job, raises his kids, is in a relationship, pays his taxes. You know, we don't always see that as the normal black man. So I have Bobby Shelley and Kevin McIntyre with me today, and I hope you really get a lot out of this show. As always, I need to explain that if you'd like to become a paid subscriber to the show, head over to the link in the website, or head over to anchor.fm. And the show is brought to you by 6AM Run, 6AMRun.com. So I'll let these guys introduce themselves. And I also want them to kind of say how we know each other, how we met. So Bobby, I will start with you. Thanks for being a part of the show. Why don't you go ahead and just introduce yourself? Well, absolutely. Thanks, Mark, for having me on. Um, uh, I don't even know where to start, man. Um, uh, I was lucky enough to meet you through a, I guess, a, just a common passion in basketball and uh, working with the kids. Um, I living in the Arlington area, uh, you know, kind of starting to come of age a little bit. Uh, wanted to uh, find a way to give back 
to the community, um, you know, and basketball, I've always had a passion for basketball, so I started coaching rec league. Um, Dave Marr saw me coaching rec league, gave, and, you know, gave me a shot at uh, travel basketball as the commissioner. Um, a few years later, you took over as the commissioner, and I was itching for a chance to coach an A-team. <laughs> And, um, you know, uh, you gave me my first chance to coach at 18. It was, a, you told me it's different, you know, it was different, but it was a, a good experience. And, and through that year, through my ups and downs, I, you know, leaned on you a lot for just advice and just checking myself, making sure, you know, I was kind of leading the kids in the right way because it was such a up and down season. Um, and I think after that first year, you know, I kind of, I kind of grew into it a lot more and started developing a lot better relationships with the kids. Started learning how to empower my uh, assistant coaches, um, and uh, you know, uh, you know, still reach out to you here and there just to check in and you know, make sure things are good. So um, I'm originally from Detroit. Uh, Military brat, grew up all over the country. Um, uh, graduated Michigan State in 2000. And man, I'm getting old. I don't even know what year. You don't even want to say the, the year anymore. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I believe it was 06, 2006. I graduated Michigan State uh, uh, College of Communication. Um, and, uh, you know, just been learning and growing ever since man so you know my time in arlington with arlington travel basketball and you know with you and those kids and, and dave and joe kuba and you know really helped me mature and had a kid of my own around that time around towards the end of my run at atb he's eight he's not he's eight now so it's probably been about i want to say about six years six six years or so so yeah, we had some good times uh, meeting up before the season at the uh, the restaurant, going over oh, plays, yeah. things like that. So yeah, yeah. that was fun. Appreciate you, Bobby. K, K Matt, Kevin, go ahead and introduce yourself, kind of, and, and tell how we how we met. My good friend Mark, thank you, uh, thank you for inviting me on, man. You you have to know how excited I am to work with you again. Uh, so uh, I'm Kevin McIntyre. Um, originally from Washington, D.C., uh, former Army combat veteran, uh, senior lawyer in Washington, D.C. I met Mark actually through his wife. Um, I worked with his wife and uh, I got to know Mark and I told him how afraid of her that I, that I was. And he would always say, man, look, man, she's soft, man. She's a softy, man. I'm like, no, Mark, I'm afraid of her. So I remember... Uh, I started coaching in, in, in the Upper Marlboro area, and I was kind of just calling Mark like, hey, I know you, you, you coached, and I know you did this for years, and I was calling him and getting, getting tips and advice, and he was kind of mentoring it through me, uh, mentoring, uh, mentoring me, and, uh, and one year he called me and said, hey, Kev, you ready for the big leagues? What's up with some Arlington travel ball? So I said, hey, you know, let, 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 let's do it, and I did it, and um it was Mark and we had another coach that was coaching and I'm looking at these guys in amazement, man. Like, like these guys really know what they're doing and they kept pushing, pushing and pushing and pushing me. And I'm like, nah, you know, I'm just kind of here to learn. I'm, I'm picking up everything. And, and one day, one game, they just both happened to be unavailable. Oh yeah. I can't make it. I can't make it. And so they forced me, they forced me to coach and I won the game and they were like, see, what was the problem? What was the problem? And uh, that was probably the best coaching experience I had. And, and working with Mark, uh, the friendship that we had, the conversations that we had, and uh, we maintained contact over the years. So good to see you again, Mark. I appreciate both of you. Yeah, we had some good times, and and you're hearing a lot about coaching and and just you know three guys who who love to give back to the community, love to the world can always you know use good coaches. So um, and what I'm trying to do with this is kind of kind of open the door for other black men to to reach out and open up and keep conversations with black men that they admire and just make sure that mentorship level is there. Um, and before we get started, like it, um, you know, when we're recording this, 
we just had the, of course, the tragic news out of out of Memphis, and um, it's just another uh, another example of why it's so hard sometimes just to explain why you feel the way you do. And, and I want to let you guys kind of talk about this a little bit, but the, the Tyree Nichols, I'm not going to explain what happened. If you don't know, just, I don't know where you've been living, but I kind of want your feedback because I had a, a friend text me after this whole thing happened. Very sincere text. Mark, I'm so sorry. These things keep happening. I don't know when the world's going to change. You know, I just, I don't even know what we do. Just checking in on you which I think was very nice, very sincere. And the first thought I had in my mind was how numb I was to it and how how much it really didn't affect me like I thought it should affect me. So, uh, Bobby, I'll let you go first. Like, in, in, in your, like, lately after the Tyree Nickel things, like, how... How have you been feeling about all this when we see another example of just police brutality and and having to explain to people that we, you know, it's not all cops, you know, we, we, which we understand, but still seeing that headline of another black man being killed? Man, I think, I think the biggest thing for me, this one hit different, you know, I mean, again, like there's a history, you know. And like you said, there's a numbness to the history repeating itself and how often can you know that happens. But this one hit different for me because those cops were brothers. Mm-hmm. And that one really spun me. You know, I, I really didn't know how to, I guess. Uh, like it didn't make sense. It doesn't compute. Like it doesn't. <laughs> Normally, you know, in, in those situations, you know, you know, I look at the, you know, it's they're usually white cops. Mm-hmm. So with this, with them being, you know, black cops, it really, I don't know, I, it it elevated more so the 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 previous thoughts that I already had around, you know, law enforcement being somewhat of a a uh you know a gang themselves Mm -hmm. to a certain extent um but i never really i guess associated that institution with you know like like black culture like you know black individuals like perpetuating Mm -hmm. that those type of actions and it's like in the in the street you know it's black on black crime and you know that's just, you know it's like oh it's, you know we that people will say like people get up in arms when there's you know white cops killing 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 black guys but nobody says anything about the the black guys in the hood or in the street killing each other and then this situation happens right it's like okay now how do we separate the two you like it's 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 at the end of the day it's just human you know just like it's it's not a i mean i guess it is but then it's like you know we gotta it starts we gotta start in our own like inside like where we talk about how we treat each other and I'm I'm at a I'm kind of numb to it too to a certain extent, but I also know like you know the only uh, only effect or only change I can I feel like I really have is to to be an example to mm-hmm. like my son and my friends and you know you know people who who see me and and have you know. Uh, human decency and courtesy and compassion and understanding how to de-escalate and um, just knowing where those lines are because a lot of times, sometimes it's just a matter of just not crossing a certain line once and then once you do cross that line, it's really no coming back. Yeah, no coming back. Um, yeah, I, I, the fact that you saw the, the, 
the thing flash on the screen and you see the the victim and then you see the cops and you're like whoa that's that's different like yeah. I, I don't even know and in, in kmac like you you've worked in law you've been an attorney like you're around cops a lot um you know metro pd you've been around a lot and in other you know pg county all that stuff so when you see that this story like how does it make you feel yeah so uh, very similar to to bobby this one this one this one hit hit different in a way that i that i didn't even expect um so i know very well what happened i looked at the transcript but i cannot watch the video um i have a problem with watching extreme violence like that I, and, and with this being brothers it, it just i could not understand the the vitriol you know the 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 level of anger for a person that hasn't even done anything mm -hmm. um you know what it what it made me do and i had a, I had quite a few conversations about this with with other brothers you know in the barbershop and at the work you know i'm kind of like you know why were these guys beating him like that? Why did they, why could they, how could you beat somebody like that? That looks like you, mm -hmm. you, you know, and, and, and inflict that kind of injury, even if they, they didn't kill him, they would have inflicted enough injury for this guy to be almost permanently disabled. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> what it did is it took, it took this issue outside of race for me. And I said, wait a minute, this is not a, white cop thing it's not a black cop thing it's a cop thing and what i do know is that had this been a white person they probably would not have beat this person like that so then i said okay it is a race thing it really doesn't matter who the attacker is but it definitely matters who the victim is if this were a white male they would not have beat this guy like that. They looked at this brother and said, he's nobody. Nobody's going to care about him. His, he's worthless. His body is worthless. And they killed him. And so I, I can't watch the video. Won't watch the video. And uh, we, need, we need conversations about this. We, we, we have to talk about what the problem is. Um, why as brothers, we can hate the way we do and why we subscribe to a system that is designed to, to kill us. You're absolutely right. I, 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 I started to watch it, but then I, I kind of asked one, I'm with you. I can't watch that stuff. I, I don't watch that stuff. And then I started watching. I was like, what, what am I going to get out of this? Like, what am I going to get out of this? I'm not going to get anything. I'm, I'm just going to feel worse or I'm going to feel hatred. And I don't want, I don't want hate in my body. Like, I don't want that. So, um, well, I appreciate both of you talking about that. And I wanted to, um, to kind of move on. I don't want this to be a somber moment. I, I kind of want us to yeah. celebrate each other, but I, I felt, you know, remiss to talk about that. But Bobby, you brought up a good point, um, about the things that you do, your actions. Now you try to, you know, show your son, show your friends, you try to constantly act in a way that puts black men and yourself in a positive light. And I was trying to explain that to somebody once and, and, you know, they asked me why you'll Mark, why do you take all these conversations with people who want to learn? Or why do you put yourself in situations where you have to talk all the time? And it's like, I want, when people think of a six foot five, 235 pound black man, I want them to think of me. Like, I don't want them to think of the hood dudes you see on, on you know, drama. Yeah. I don't want you to, <laughs> Debo's good to do, but, uh, <laughs> but I don't want you to think of that. Uh, immediate negative image of a black man. I don't want, I'm the normal, I'm the college educated, I have a job, I'm the normal black man. So, you know, Kevin, you being in law, you know, veteran, you have law school, you've worked, you know, you, you've done well for yourself, married, have a, have a good looking kid. How old is he now? How old is Lil Kev? 21. Oh my God. Oh yeah. my God. Oh my God. <laughs> 21, so, uh, years of age. 21 years of age. So you're, and, and we've talked in the past about, you know, his hobbies and his likes are different than yours when you grew up, but that's just what it is. But raising this kid in America now, like 
what do you do to instill like that positive role model? And do you have to take it further to make him understand that this is what you have to do to be a black man, a positive role model, a good citizen, a decent human being as a black man in America? Yeah, that's a good question. So <clears throat> with Kevin, you know, he wasn't raised, he wasn't raised in an urban environment like I was. He was raised uh, in Texas, he was raised in New Hampshire, and then he was raised in Loudoun County. Um, so some diversity, and sometimes it was it was mostly white. And so he grew up uh, kind of uh, not really knowing much about African-American issues and, and things like that. So it was my job to kind of expose him to things. I would bring him around my DC family. I would take him to museums. I gave him books. And most importantly, he watched dad. You were talking about being normal. I'm a normal dad. I'm educated. I go to work every day. I worked hard. So that's what he saw. So in one vein, it was successful because he didn't really understand a struggle. But on the other hand, he didn't understand a struggle. So he has this, this entitlement that I didn't fully understand. <clears throat> I also taught him how to express himself and how to be an individual. And so that's the individual that I raised. And now he's pre presenting it back to me. And uh, I don't really know what I want to do. I'm just going to figure it out. I'm not really sure. I'm not passionate. And so I have to explain to him, Kevin, well, look at how you live. Look at look at how you, you grew up. Look at the resources that you have access to. That's what you want to provide for your child. And you have to start now. And so that's the that's the, 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 the struggle that I'm having with him now, you know, jump starting the pilot light so that that flame can can burn. And uh, it's a little process. And I think he's very comfortable um, and uh, we're getting there. You know, it's not at my pace, but but it's at his pace. So it's it's, it's a it's a process. And uh, Bobby, I'm going to get to you real quick. But I do want to ask, have, have you have you had to have the the talk with your your black son about his interaction oh, yeah. with with law enforcement oh yeah in fact his mother uh texted me today she said you know i think i, I think we should get kevin a dash cam and i said you know what you're right um and i and i told him i say kevin even though you didn't grow up like i did even though you're not a six foot five black man with a beard if you're stopped by police, what do you do? He said, well, dad, I'm going to have to comply so that I can live another day. So we've had that conversation. And that made me sad in itself that my son now has to worry about being stopped by the police and not see the police as someone who assists. So I did have that conversation with him and he's aware of what to do. Uh, most importantly, he said he'll he'll call dad if he if he's stopped. Yeah, that's, that's good. It's, I mean, it's good you had the conversation. It's... It's tough that we have to have it. Um, yeah, Bobby, you are you're a little different. Your son is is eight. It's kind of hard to say if he'll comprehend what's going on, or if you had to have that that conversation with him. But what, yeah, you, know, you have a different generation than, than Kevin does. Both of you and I do. You know, what do you do day to day to to kind of raise him as a black as a black boy right now? But he, you know all things, you know, being equal will be a, a black man in this country one day. Yeah, man. Um, I work on myself a lot, honestly. Um, like I said, like, I got a lot of stories from when I was younger, you know, like, I've changed and grown a ton since I was 21. <laughs> uh, since, yeah, even before then, you know, 17, 18, my experience was totally different and at that time I didn't have you know the Mark Pizants and men of that uh, uh, cut from that cloth and, and you know outside of maybe a counselor from school or something like that but um, I, I, I look at myself because I know that 
I'm 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 the example how I carry myself and how you know how I how I like you know Kev was talking about teaching his son how to express himself you know at eight years old like my son eight years old like you know I'm working on trying to teach him how to express himself and I've come to realize that the apple never really fall that far from the tree <laughs> so you know um I look at myself a lot and you know think about ways how can I communicate with him better so that maybe he soaks soak some of that some of that up how can i how can i express myself better when i'm frustrated or you know feel feeling away so that i can be more of an example so that he can follow um as far as law enforcement like you know it, it's we're gradually getting there um he you know he watches a ton of tv and you know there are some representations, you know, um, and stuff that he, he, he watches. Um, but he's not really, we don't, he's not really exposed to like news or he mm-hmm. doesn't have social media or anything like that. So he's still kind of sheltered, you know, um, to an to extent where his ignorance is kind of a, is bliss right now. Yeah. Um, but I often remind him how, how real and scary the world is for you know as you come out of childhood and come into adolescence and start to have an awareness of what's going on outside of like you know your personal bubble um you know social socio emotional um control and just you're teaching them you know how to be organized and and present itself and have some composure and um you know they teach you know i guess growing up it was almost it was almost kind of like you know you know men don't you know men don't cry you gotta be tough and this that and the third and my son is a top tier grade a private and you know i don't i don't rag on him too much about it but you know i think i'm 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 a little tough on him i'm i'm pretty tough on him and i think most people would would probably agree that you know I ride him pretty tough, but I do it to prepare him. Um, and you know, with his social interactions at school, um, for him more so, it's just about, he's really learning about girls and how to conduct himself and act appropriately, you know. And uh, we've had he's had some some issues, you know, or he's had some incidents where you know there have been good teaching moments. And the proudest thing for me is when I see him make mistakes and then learn from those mistakes, find himself in those same or similar situations, and make different and better decisions. And uh, you know, I think it's important for me to continue for me not to not to get too uh complacent and settled in with 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 myself so that as long as i continue to work on myself and i continue to try to improve and be a better be a better man it's an example because right now he's still so young he's just you know he soaks everything up and he kind of kind of mimics a lot of the, the stuff i do so for me, it's more so like making sure that I'm not like just, you know, jumping on him and trying to mold him, but I'm also staying conscious of my own uh, self-improvement. Yeah. And, and I appreciate that because that, I mean, I have a, your, your son is a mini version of you and my oldest daughter is a mini version of me. And, and I have to continually watch myself because like, she's going to do everything that I do. Like she is literally like every every dumb thing that comes out of my mouth she repeats it and my wife is like yeah, kevin nada's like what see this is what you do and i was like all right so i understand that but bobby you talked about that self-improvement and you talked about that burden of not being able to show emotion as a black man especially growing up in america and and there's that stigma we we uh, that I always talk about in regard to black men showing emotion and feeling comfortable showing emotion. So I mean, 
what made you start that? Like, I, I, I understand you were a young black man in America who did some, you know, in your, your words, you, you did some things, but at a certain point you said, I need to work on myself. I need to give, I need to prioritize myself, my mental health, my physical health, my emotional health, my spiritual health. What was there a point you remember or how does it, does it still feel kind of weird to you that you as a black man are saying, I'm going to work on myself? Um, I mean, no, not at this point, because there's been there's been several moments, you know, there's been several moments in different, different phases of my life where I realized like, I gotta be better. Right. And I think that's kind of where it starts, even in, you know, even going back to, uh, you know, the, the, the police situation, I think, I think a lot of, you know, it's easy I know you got you guys probably heard like you know if you point the finger you got three fingers pointing back yes. at you <laughs> and you know I mean you know you gotta look I gotta get up and look myself in the mirror and you know be accountable you know I think that's one of the those are the lessons I try to teach my son about being accountable having integrity being honest um you know uh learning and not looking at everything as a loss, but learning and just teaching them, you know, every, a lot of things in life are temporary. We're not here forever. We got to make the best, you know, most of what we have. But for me, I mean, you know, growing up, I didn't, you know, my father, I didn't, I didn't grow up with my father. I grew up with my mother. And, you know, at a certain point I started to rebel. I got in trouble. I learned things the hard way. And, uh, you know, I, the, the, I first started working on my, my my attitude my anger you know i had so much anger as a adolescent i would get in a lot of fights and i'm either hurting somebody or somebody's hurting me and i got tired of that so i started to um i i guess suppress maybe like my anger and stuff like that and then then i realized that wasn't the right right thing because at <laughs> no some it's point, not <laughs> at some point it bubbles over and then now you're burning everything down um, so then I learned, I had, you know, all right, I got to take another step. I got to start learning how to, to talk. And, you know, in those moments where I'm having, uh, an issue or frustration or don't sit with it or don't swallow it, you know, find a way to, to talk or find an avenue to, to vent, get it out. You know, I, I think exercise is great. Um, basketball was 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 awesome for me as an awesome outlet you know it gave me an opportunity to yell at some kids for a good reason <laughs> uh no i'm just joking that was a joke um but and then i think the last straw was becoming a dad really like when i had my son that was i think the biggest shift in my life you know um and the 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 real the real threat of losing him hmm. the real threat of losing him not just to to like i don't know a custody situation but a bad allergy that you know where he would suffocate or just 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 realizing that you know my life is bigger than just me at this point I, everything that i do i have to do to make sure that he can have every opportunity to to exceed the experiences that I've had, so he don't have to go through the same things I went through, you know, and you know have a a head start or a leg up or just some sort of wisdom and an understanding of awareness of how to maneuver and navigate, you know, to get to where he want to get to. Yeah, and I'm I'm. Listen, I, I know exactly what you're talking about in the conversations. I, I, I wish I had recorded some of the conversations you and I had in the past about, you know, your feelings toward the kids you were coaching and you're kind of, you you recognizing you, the maturing in real, I, I saw you mature in real time. Like, it's not like you're that much younger than me, but like I saw, like I saw somebody who I genuinely appreciated maturing in real time. And K-Mac, you know, you you live you work in a in a area of um you know your career you have to do a lot of talking you have to you know you always have to be presentable when you go out you know you know when you were a line attorney you always had to 
you know, even if you didn't have it figured out, you in front of a judge, you you can't let that slip. You have to be in that situation where, oh yeah, I got, I I know I got this under control. But but as a you know, you're human, you're you're, you're human. But did you ever feel you had an opportunity to tell somebody, as a black man, like I'm I'm tired, like I I, I don't have it today. I'm I'm not feeling it. I don't know. Or did you? constantly put that pressure on you that you had to be that dependable you couldn't slip up basically did you put that pressure on yourself i i absolutely did put that pressure on myself so i'm one of six i i grew up a, a middle child and the pressure was on me early um i think my parents realized i was a good student i was i was obedient i, I didn't get in trouble and the pressure began. I wasn't the oldest, but I was I, I was given the responsibilities of the oldest. So when I went to the military, I put a lot of pressure on myself to be the best because you, you are mediocre if you're good. Mm -hmm. um, when I became an attorney, it was, it was much of the same. Uh, some of the things other attorneys could get away with, I couldn't, so I had to be perfect. You know, even when I was single, I couldn't, I couldn't talk about dating because it, it made me look like a player. You know, I, I had to be very careful what I said, what I did, how I dressed. Um, so I put a lot of pressure on myself. That pressure, you know, remains even to this day. Partly it's how I was able to reach the pinnacle of my career in the legal field. But the pressure that I put on myself, I sometimes think, is it fair? Should I have to do this every day? Why can't I be who I am? And so one of the things that I, I remember a, a gentleman saying to me some time ago, he said, if you're the same at 30 as you was at 20, something's wrong. If you're the same at 40 as you was at 30, something's wrong. And as I, as I age, and I think, I think I'm older than, than both of you, um, I'm getting to the point where I'm going to tell you how I feel. It's not a facade. It's not, I don't wear a mask anymore. It's coming off. If I don't like it, I tell you. I express myself. I don't have to yell. I don't have to curse. I don't have to be the ang angry black man, but you're going to know my displeasure. You know, I don't have a problem shedding tears. I shed a tear when Kobe passed away in front of people. Me too. <laughs> you, no, no, no longer will I be the, the ironclad black man no you're gonna get all of these emotions that i have if i'm happy i'm happy if i'm sad if i'm angry you'll get that but it's but it's uh it, it's just me developing into a person so that pressure that pressure stayed there that mark has been there and i just use it to motivate me to keep pushing and i try to teach that to to others that i work with like you know don't quit don't give up this is what life is about getting up every day when it's raining, when it's snowing and going out to work and earning your paycheck and coming back and saying, Hey, look what, you know, that's what it's about. You know, you can't quit. <laughs> I don't have a golden pillow to fall on. <laughs> it, and I'm glad you said that because there, there's this, there's this thought process with some in, in this world now that, that there's still a laziness, a implicit laziness in black men that we, we want the handout. We want, we have, we're entitled. And again, I'll repeat it as I have done it plenty of times. This is the normal black man. This is, this is the majority of us. And I think it's about time we, we give each other our flowers because we, we deserve it. I mean, we got three black men on this show that are, like I said, have jobs. They're raising children at different stages of their lives. They're, they're trying to be positive role models we've coached kids that aren't our own that are not our own and we've we've pushed them to the limit and we've made them you know better kids and so the thing i really want to get out of both of you is having people understand what it means to do twice the work for half of the acknowledgement what it means to, and what I mean, what it means, the feeling inside of continually having 
to be flawless, to be perfect because there's no such thing as a second chance sometimes. Um, I, th I You can just do the, I'm not even gonna talk about the data, you could just Google search of, of every successful white man who's had bankruptcy after bankruptcy after bankruptcy and, and always gotten a, a, a loan. And I think one of the greatest lines I've ever heard was, and it was Chris Rock saying this, he said, um, equality is being able to be average. He was talking about how Tom Cruise can make just disaster movie after disaster movie and people keep calling him. He's like, I, I make disaster movie after disaster movie. I, I won't get calls anymore. So Kev, I kind of want you to lead off with that, like that, that just emotional feeling of literally having to be that perfect human all the time and the emotional toll it plays on you. Yeah. And, and to piggyback on your quote, I also heard a quote and I don't remember the source, but I know uh, someone said, I wish I had the confidence of a mediocre white man. Yes. You know, that, that, that entitlement that goes with it. You, you haven't achieved anything, accomplished anything, but it, but it is so, and you deserve. And you're, you're right. You have to be flawless. Um, one of the things that I talk about in the workplace is when you're, when you're black and especially a black man, you have attacks from so many angles. You have sisters that are like, oh, you know, you guys oppress us, my ex-boyfriend, my ex-husband. So I'm that target. You've got your, your white woman that's, you know, waiting for you to slip up. You know, you got white men that may, may or may not be intimidated, but now they may rain down on you. Oh, let me tell you what to do. Um, so you get it from all sides. So once again, I am getting to the point where I will express myself to you. I will call you out on your foolishness. And, you know, people will always talk about, about you behind your back. But you know what? It's behind your back because you're looking forward. So criticize away. Criticize away. Because I won't impress you with my words. I'm not going to convince you of anything with my words. But I will convince you with my actions. And I've done it time and time and time again by outworking people, by staying on task. And most importantly, and this is something we really haven't talked about, I have principles. I have, I have more, a moral code that I follow and that keeps me on track. And by following my principles and my moral code, I'm always consistent no matter what I do. And if you watch me over time, you will, you will go, wow, look, look, look what you've been able to do. And I think that's definitely something that we need to pass on to people, our young people. Have a moral code. Have a have character. You know, have have um, have a philosophy that you that you follow. You, you, you know, buy into these words. You know, honor, respect, duty, loyalty. These things mean something. Follow your code, and no matter what the winds of criticism bring, you will rise above that. Love that. I love that man. Uh, I appreciate that. Bobby, same thing for you. Like what, you know, you work in a very competitive field. You work in IT startup right now. So you're working, you know, a lot of hours. And, you know, what is that feeling? Do you have that pressure on yourself to continually be perfect all the time? And, and what is that emotional toll like? Um, I used to. I used to, to a point where my hair started falling out. <laughs> uh, seriously. I went, I remember going to the, to the barbershop and I remember the barber saying, man, whatever it is you're worried about, you need to let it go. <laughs> That's the, the best thing about barbers. I've been to barbershop in, in a deck in decades, man. So I, but I remember those conversations. So well, yeah, again, um, I'm, I'm the oldest of, of three. I got two younger sisters. Um, I played sports ever since I was, I don't know, eight, nine, you know, basketball, competitive. Uh, 
um, you know, to the to the point where I, when I was younger, I, I I was good. I was I was good. I mean, I think it was a, a, a disservice, you know, growing up in a military family where we moved so often. I really couldn't grow roots. Um, but I remember when I first started playing, you know, I I learned the plays and I would run the play to the T. I'm not breaking a play to try to, you know, get my, do my own thing. And, you know, just trying to be, you know, trying to be perfect in, you know, what I was told I needed to do. Then I learned that, you know, you gotta be yourself. You know, you gotta, you gotta, it's a balance. Life is, is a, a lot about balance. Um, so when it comes to like, you know, trying to be perfect, um, you, I, I, I put, a, I put a lot of pressure on myself. I remember we talked one time, and I think I hit you with one of my favorite quotes: "My greatest enemy is my inner me." Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, it, my, you know, coming out of the environment that I came out of from high school, and then just now we're not gonna talk about college, but coming out of college, coming moving to Virginia, it's a white collar area, you know suits i'm wearing suits to work now (laughs) you know that was different and you know uh the company i worked for predominantly white company um entry level you know so the pressure's on automatically right out of college even even in college you know pressure i had you know pressure to try to be perfect but it didn't hit like it hit when i hit the workforce and was out of school and had to pay back student loans and try to afford things for myself um as well as you know growing up with my mom a single mom like nothing was worse than disappointing her or you know not doing stuff to make her proud um but when i hit the workforce and started working you know i wanted to be perfect i wanted to as close to perfect as i could be um i'm trying to earn some money you know create a life for myself um and burning the midnight oil, working late hours, um, afraid of being judged for really, really working against, trying to work against the stigmas that I already know that exist for, you know, somebody <laughs> like me. That's like, hard. That's a hard money. thing to do, man. That's an extra burden for us. That's an extra yeah. burden. And, and, a lot, and a lot of times the setup is there. You might not see it, but a lot of times the trap is already set. If you're not if you're not hip enough, you'll walk right into it. So, um, yeah, you know, I wanted to make sure my stuff got done on time, and you know, uh, but then I left my first job and took another job, and that was the one where you know I tried to be perfect, and hair started falling out. I'm, you know, working late hours left that job and now where I'm at now, I, I know myself. I know where my strengths are. I know where my weaknesses are. Um, I don't try to mat like, you know, I don't really wear the mask as much anymore. Um, so the people who, who, uh, who value me, you know, and, and me understanding, learning to grow and understand my own value, knowing that, knowing that I'm not perfect, you know, looking back on my life, all the mistakes that I made, all the, you know, situations that I've been in, I'm, and, I'm, and where I'm blessed to be at right now, um, I'm okay with not being perfect. I know that what I, I know that I'm going to balance it out. For example, I'm, I'm, I'm overanalytical. My brain works hyperactively. I think of every single scenario like like it's like it's 30 seconds left in the fourth quarter and I'm down by two. <laughs> right? All right. Like if they do this, I'm going to do this. That's how my brain works. And sometimes that leads to me pushing up right up against the deadline, right? And Four or five years ago, they'll be on me like, oh, you got to get this done at this time. You know, micromanaging me like, where are you? You know, what's the status? And at this point, they don't people that they don't bother me. They they like I'm not hiding anything. I'm not saying, oh, I'm here. 
I, oh, I'm this far when I'm actually right here. I'm, I'm honest. I'm up front. And um, uh, I'm at a point now where they know that when it's, when it's time to deliver, I'm going to deliver quality. And despite, the, despite whatever my faults or weaknesses might be, I balance it out and, you know, I come through with, with quality, with quality work, um, and with my integrity intact. And, you know, as long as, as long as I'm, as long as I have that, I have my integrity and, you know, I have a, a certain, a certain level of respect and value for myself, I can sleep at night. So that's, that's what I love because it's a, it's a, it's getting to that point. What I hear from both of you too is that there, there was like an intellectual maturity that needed to happen, and and definitely some emotional intelligence that was that was increased with both of you. And the thing I, I do want to mention is both of you mentioned how much hard work and and going the extra mile. And I'll go ahead and say it. One thing I love about Lil Kev's generation, Kevin, I'm gonna tell you right now. One thing I love about their generation is they're really not going to take any shit from work. Like I said, like I under, like we see, like we have to, we have to kind of see the world through their eyes if we can, because they see how much work dad is doing. Like my girls, like they, I tell this all the time. Like when I was working too much at my old job, I remember Aaliyah walking in this, this, this exact office and saying, Hey daddy, can we, go outside and shoot baskets it was like 5 5 30 I was supposed to be done with work I said no honey I I, I can't I gotta work and I'll I told myself after reflection that'll never happen again like that'll never ever happen again I'll never tell my daughter that I can't shoot buckets with her after work hours like I'm not gonna do that and and I think kids are smarter than we give them credit for because they see the just the absolute stress that we're under to provide for them. And sometimes, they, and they could care less, honestly, a lot of them would care less. They could, they just want to spend time with us. And they tell themselves inside, I'm going to, I'm not going to be like that. I'm not going to work 10, 12 hours a day. They're going to get my eight and that's it. And I think it's going to change the culture of work in America. It's going to change how employers find employees or what they have to offer them. But with all that being said, before I let you guys go, I have one last question that I want both of you to kind of answer for me. And, and it might be a little easier for you, Kevin, because your 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 son is of age. But you know, Bobby, if you have a young black man who's 22 right now, just got out of college, and is about to go start their their professional life, their career, you know, what do you from what you've learned of how you've lived, what do you tell that young man right now? Man, I would tell him, uh, I would tell him to one believe in himself, trust, trust yourself, have faith in, have faith in, 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 in God, um, do right by others and save. I mean, again, like everything's the everything in this life is temporary like you know so everything that glitters is not gold um work on yourself and uh um man just like like kev said like don't quit you can't quit you, you know take take your losses as lessons and learn and grow never stop growing don't get don't get complacent you know even if you know even after a victory you know you win a championship celebrate your wins but keep preparing stay prepared get ready for the next the next run because you know the hits gonna keep coming you know life is up life is ups and downs peaks and valleys you just gotta you know uh trust trust yourself trust in in your faith and and, you know, things will work out. I can appreciate that. Kevin, my, I don't know if it's going to be easier for you. I know you've you've had to at least start this conversation, but 
you know, black man, 22 years old, graduated from college, starting his career, starting his life. You know, what do you tell that person right now? Oh, you're muted. You are muted. I mute. There you go. Got <laughs> one, one of the things that I learned as a um, as an athlete, uh, as a coach, army officer, uh, lawyer, um, I would tell him failing is okay if you learn from it. Um, one of the things I will say, when you look at dad, you may see what you believe is the end state. You know, you see, you see the result of the years of work, of disappointment, of preparation, of blood, sweat, and tears. Now it's your turn to go through those things. Uh, in the military, we used to say, learn to embrace the suck because that's when you grow. They call it growing pains for a reason. When you're in puberty, when you're growing, when your body's changing, it's uncomfortable. It hurts. When a baby is teething, the teeth are coming out. It's always uncomfortable. So when you're uncomfortable and you should always strive to be uncomfortable, that's when you when you grow. When you grow. And, I, and, I'll, and I'll say this one last thing. Uh, there's a book that I would offer uh, my son. Uh, and I've read it many, many, many times. And it's called The Alchemist by Paul Coelho. And I would say, son, understand that life is the treasure. The journey is the treasure. So live your life for the here and now. Go through your experiences and don't quit. Because when you get to the end, the treasure that you now hold has been built over the years. You don't just become a lawyer when you graduate from law school. Those years of studying, those years of, of writing, of staying up all night, that's how. You, you, don't, you don't get into the MBA when you graduate from high school. It's You started at six and seven. You, you played travel ball, shooting in the gym, dribbling the ball with the cones. Embrace the process. Embrace the suck. And that's how you become what it is that you would you want to become. I think both men um, just said it eloquently. And I love the fact that none of your answers were based solely around, um, you know, just taking care of other people or their job. Like I if I were to ask this question to somebody 50, 60, 70 years ago. The answer would have been get yourself a good job, find yourself a good woman and take care of your, your, uh, your kids and do, do, don't worry about yourself ever. Like, and you can see that in, the gen in our generation, you can see how many black men fail to even tell people when they're tired or, or we'll, 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 we won't even say we're hungry. You know, we, there's things we will do or not do because of what our fathers and believe my father's still alive i love him to death we have a great relationship and we talk about this all the time we talk about the things that you know his life was tough he worked hard so my brother my life my sister's life wouldn't be as tough my kids got a suite right now they got a good school they got ipads they got every they can play in any league they want to play and there's a thousand different basketball leagues. like it's I don't have to travel an hour to play on some team. So I appreciate both of your, your answers. Gentlemen, this has been a blast. I really appreciate it. I hope that people can realize why I did this. And um, I hope that if there's a black man out there and you feel a certain way, you know, reach out to, to, to somebody. And I always have my information on the show. Reach out to me if you ever need to talk. So. Bobby, I appreciate it. Kevin, I appreciate it. you guys. Take care of yourselves. Let's do this again, man. Let's not wait this long to talk. Absolutely. Um, yeah, we are talking, man. So yeah. much more. So much more to talk about, man. I, I love. So that. much more. We'll have to. We'll definitely have to do a part two to this. I, I, I'll go ahead and set it up. So, guys, take care of yourselves, and you guys have a great night. Okay. Thanks, one man. love. Have a good one, Kev. Thank you.
A huge thank you to our two guests this week, Kevin and Bobby. You are two amazing men that I'm so glad to call my friends. As always, we need to continue this conversation. Black men, we need to make sure we're available for other black men and everybody else. Just take the time to think about how you look at how you think of the black man, the black father in America. The show is written, produced, and edited by me, Mark Paisant. And if you or anyone you know is in crisis, please contact the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline by dialing 988 on any phone.